0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three scrawny dudes just looking for the right dance partner. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm a captain. I'm Keith Baker, and I had a date. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I can do this all day. On today's show, we'll be continuing our bi-weekly series on the MCU Phase 1 with Captain America, the first Avenger. But first, Matt, our newest ongoing bonus series has been covering The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. How's that been going so far? Yeah, what a good show overall.
1: Very exciting. Definitely excited to have these Marvel TV shows. We have Loki coming soon. We had WandaVision. And yeah, if you want to check out our thoughts, including all those goody spoilers,
0: on the finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, be sure to check out our episode. Keith, can you remind everybody when those episodes come out? Those episodes are coming out every Sunday. And with that, let's get into our main topic for today. The summer of 2011 gave us both Thor and Captain America, the first Avenger, The films acted as an intro to their respective characters while also setting up the villains and MacGuffins we would see a few months later in 2012's The Avengers. While receiving mostly positive reviews upon release, this one, like Thor, doesn't seem to be remembered quite as fondly by today's standards. Did Chris Evans not come into the role until The Avengers? Do we have another weak villain? Is the balance between standalone and setup for the next film all out of whack? Well, let's break that down today. Matthew, I'm going to start with you today. I know you look quite fondly upon this film. Why don't you give me your history and your initial thoughts on Captain America, the first Avenger? Yeah, I just think this is a good movie.
1: Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that same thing we talked about with Thor, where people are always like, man, this character didn't really get good until Ragnarok. But whenever you rewatch Thor, it's like, yeah, maybe they had a misstep with the next movie, but he was always, I think, a good part of it. And this is just a good movie overall. Whenever people would talk about with Winter Soldier and Civil War being like, well, you know, the trilogy's two good movies. It's like, I mean, this movie, yeah, I mean, it's nothing crazy spectacular or particularly unique, but I think it's well made, it's fun, it's entertaining, and I've always thought this one was particularly underlooked and underappreciated in the scope of the MCU. I think Chris Evans gave a killer performance. Um, I saw this one right in the lead up to the Avengers back in twenty twelve and Out of all the MCU phase one movies, this one's probably either the one I've seen the most or the second most behind Iron Man. So yeah, overall, I just really enjoy this movie. And on this rewatch, I certainly did this time as well.
2: Nice. Yeah, I think I might second most of what Matthew just said. I had seen this movie once in theaters and then maybe once or twice since then. So this rewatch was interesting. You know, my first thoughts on it are that I kind of want to rewatch it. Nothing stood out to me. Like you said, Matt, nothing stood out to me as being like over spectacular, but nothing, there was no really big problems with it either. It was just kind of an overall good, entertaining movie. The introduction of Captain America was was cool and fun. And um, I think the only thing that really didn't grasp me this time was maybe the villain. But as like I said, I think it went by so fast that I just need to rewatch it.
0: For me, I think this viewing is only my second or third time seeing this film, so I really couldn't remember too much from it uh, going into this, this rewatch. For me, I think I kind of agree, though, with what you said, Matt, about how this might be overlooked, but it's only overlooked in the terms of the MCU phase one. I, I think if you look at it in the, in the scope of the entirety of the MCU, I think it is kind of viewed about right. It's not great, it's not spectacular, but it's still a fun movie. I think this movie has an amazing first act. It then transitions into a sci-fi historical fiction movie that I think for the most part fails in its execution. Uh, for me, the action is just okay, the romance isn't given enough time to develop, and the villains' motivations, while still better than the majority of the phase one villains, it's still pretty hard to get straight. It is, however, redeemed by a fantastic final 20 minutes and just an incredible tease for the Avengers. That's kind of where I'm at, um, a movie that I didn't love on a rewatch, but I still think I might consider it one of the best in the MCU phase one so far.
1: I mean, obviously we'll do rankings next week when, or in two weeks when we close out with the Avengers, but I'd have to think about it. But I mean, this one's certainly going to, I think, kind of rank high almost by default, at least for me, just because when it comes to origin movie elements, I think this one just has it better than most of the others. And I agree that I really think the first act and third act are great. The second act isn't bad, just a little bit slow. Um, but other than that, I I think overall just a good movie and I I do agree with you though in the scope of the MCU, I think they did kind of, uh, figure out the formula a bit better later on.
0: Yeah. I think they also figured out how to use Captain America and his rogues gallery way better in the future films as well. Mm -hmm. So those are our opening thoughts on Captain America, the first Avenger. We're going to roll some music and when we come on back, it'll be time for the movie facts for Captain America, the first Avenger. All right, Austin. Let's jump on in here with the movie facts. Let's start with our cast and crew. So this film is directed by Joe Johnston. Uh, He actually got his start doing the visual effects on the original Star Wars trilogy and Writers of the Lost Ark. He then would go on to make his directorial debuts in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Rocketeer, The Pagemaster, and Jumanji. Um, Our screenplay is by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Uh, He will actually go on to write The rest of the Captain America films, Thor The Dark World, Guardians of the Galaxy, and both Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. So he will become a prominent figure in our MCU cast going forward. Our movie score today is composed by Alan Silvestri, legendary composer. Of course, you know him from the Polar Express soundtrack and he will later develop the Avengers theme. Those are the only
1: two we should mention.
0: (laughs) The Back to the Future, dude. Polar Express and the Avengers theme. (laughs) And of course, our characters today were created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. And for our cast, we have Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, Captain America, Haley Atwell as Agent Peggy Carter, Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes, Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark, Toby Jones as Arnim Zola, Neil McDonough as Dum Dum Dugan, with Tommy Lee Jones as Colonel Phillips, Hugo Weaving as Johann Smith, the Red Skull, and Stanley Tucci as Dr. Erskine. So boys, what were your highlights today, positive or negative?
2: Positive for me,
0: I guess just right off
2: the tip of my brain here, would have to be Tommy Lee Jones as Colonel Phillips. I'm a big Tommy Lee Jones fan.
0: Well, if you're such a big Tommy Lee Jones fan, Keith, why did you vote against No Country for Old Man twice in our bracket last week? I told you all the things I liked about No Country for Old Men. You hate Tommy Lee Jones. We all know it, Keith. I love Tommy Lee Jones.
2: But yeah, he's up there for me. And then my second one would be Stanley Tucci as Dr. Erskine.
1: Yeah, um, I think similarly to most of these movies we've talked about so far, we do leave the spot open to mention people that we think didn't do a good job. I think this is another project where that doesn't really apply. I think everybody was at least good. And I think they fulfilled their role In a good way. I think Chris Evans has always been great as Steve Rogers and has been since the start. I think Haley Atwell just has such like just natural charisma and is great as Agent Peggy Carter. Um, Hugo Weaving, you know, he's pretty well known in the industry for playing iconic villains. And I liked seeing him in this one. And then my last one was, um, I, I really do actually, I think I mentioned it with Thor also, but for whatever reason, if it's Alan Silvestri and whoever they had do Thor, I just think both of these movies have had better scores than the other ones. These ones seem a bit more memorable to me. So I really like that too.
0: I think for me, my main standout is uh, Stanley Tucci as Dr. Ertzgein. I think it's really cool that they kind of used like a a Nazi defector as our scientist in this movie that because that kind of does follow some historical precedent. So I thought that was pretty cool to see. And and I'd forgotten about that character being in this film. Uh, Chris Evans, of course, is great and, and will continue to even get better as we move forward. I guess my only negative, I don't have an issue with the performance. But Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark, just I think the character feels a little forced upon us in, in some later scenes in the movie. I do like that he has that.
1: because I know Dominic Cooper's British, so I like that they kind of uh, overcompensated by giving him like that classic uh, transatlantic accent. You know, he's like, well, looky here. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of fun. And you guys both mentioned um, Stanley Tucci as well. And I think it's just fun getting to watch this movie and the unique perspective of also randomly watching um, a phase 4 project with the falcon and the winter soldier because they've mentioned Dr Erskine you know several times in that show in reference to the formula and people trying to recreate his formula specifically and then also with the Wyatt Russell character you know it definitely calls back to that scene where he's like it makes good men great bad men worse so I thought that was cool
0: It's such a weird experience to watch Captain America being created and while having the context of knowing his trajectory in, in the future MCU. Like it's just so weird to kind of go back and see his first days appearing on screen. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right. So that's our cast and crew. Keith, why don't you take us into our fun facts or maybe production nightmares? What do you got for us today?
2: All right. Not really any production nightmares, but I got some facts for you guys. Let me just kind of start reeling them off here. So Chris Evans, he declined the role three times before accepting the part. Not out of dislike for the role, but because he feared what the effects of the sudden increase of fame would be on his private life. Robert Downey oh. Jr. convinced him to take the part and thus gained the freedom to sign on to any other role he'd want afterwards. And after that, he had a meeting with the director, uh, Joe Johnston, and the producers, and they convinced him to take the role.
1: Nice. Nice. I'm sure also probably played into the fact that I'm trying to think the timeline, but he would have, by the time they were probably going to pre-production on this, he would have probably been two or three years removed from Johnny Storm doing that twice. It's like, do I really want to jump back into another Marvel comic book role? Will that just be too much? Like, who knows? So yeah, should sure that factor in. I remember it was weird seeing those first posters. Like, he was just in a different Marvel property. It, it was kind of jarring at first, knowing he was playing the part.
0: He's kind of the only main actor in the MCU phase one to come into this movie with comic book experience. So, yeah, it, yeah. like you said, that it is crazy that he makes that transition so quickly.
2: Yeah. Well, funny you guys say that. That goes into my next fact. So, this is Chris Evans' sixth comic book movie after Fantastic Four. That came out in 05. Fantastic Four, Rise of Silver Surfer. Uh, Push, that came out in 09. The Losers, mm-hmm. that came out in 2010.
0: Oh, I forgot about The Losers.
2: Yeah, The Losers. Uh, then he had Scott Pilgrim versus The World. Oh, Yeah. And he also voiced Casey Jones in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 07. Oh, that was a good movie. So
0: this is his sixth comic book role. Speaking of voiceovers, is he the one doing the voiceover for scrawny Steve Rogers in the beginning? Or is that actor yeah. actually using his voice? They, they might have like heightened it a little bit, but it, it's definitely him. If it's him, yeah. It's cool that they did that, but it's kind of jarring in some scenes. Like the The voice doesn't fully line up with the lip syncing, I don't think.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. So Chris Evans, which I know we're always interested in paydays, he was paid $300,000 to play this role.
1: And Chris Evans also jumped by the end. I mean, by I know at least it took like until Avengers Age of Ultron to think every performance after that he was making $20 million or more per appearance, so crazy.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what his jump is when we do the Avengers in two weeks, how much he gets paid for that one.
1: Yeah, well, I'm curious.
2: Hmm. Uh, as far as other actors that were considered for the role of Captain America, so Sam Worthington, God, from wow. Avatar, and <laughs> Will
0: Smith were in early talks for the for the role. Will Smith, I'd be, that would be a yes please for me, for Will Smith. I would love to see what that looks like. Hmm. I would too. That'd be cool. That would be kind of cool, actually. How
1: about this, guys, though? We're going to fold Will Smith back into the MCU over 10 years later, the finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He will play a
2: young Isaiah Bradley in that flashback where he fights Ooh. the Winter Soldier. Ooh, I'd be down for that. That would be kind of cool. Uh, later on, Garrett Headland, Channing Tatum, Scott Porter, Mike Vogel, Sebastian Stan, oh, huh. John Krasinski, and Jensen Ackles were all on a short list for the role. Uh, Kellen Lutz, Ryan Felipe, Alexander Skarsgård uh, also had auditions for it, but the role went to Chris Evans. I actually like most of
0: those picks. Yeah, I was going to say, is there any names that stand out there for you, Matt, that you'd like to see? Yeah, the
1: one that I'd always heard about was John Krasinski. I think that one got really close from what I remember. It sounds like had Chris Evans just kept declining, it it might have gone to Krasinski. But um, they all stand out as at least good. I, I think most of them could have done it. The one that also stands out, interestingly enough, um, Jensen Ackles from Supernatural. He's playing the parody version of Captain America in The Boys Season 3. So he's playing like that more fucked up version. So he's going to get... A chance kind of to play the role.
0: I guess the only name you didn't mention there that for me stands out is Canning Tatum. I'd be interested to see what that looks like, especially kind of seeing some of his more comedic roles recently too. Like he could probably bring that like charm and wit to the Captain America character. Yeah.
2: And Sebastian Sam was considered for it as well. He auditioned, but ultimately he went to play Bucky, obviously.
1: That is cool that Marvel does that. I like when directors or higher ups make that choice to like. When people audition, it's cool to actually consider them for other stuff. We talked about that with Tom Hiddleston. Kenneth Branagh was like, yeah, I don't think he works for Thor, but he could make a great Loki. So I like
2: that they still kept
1: Sebastian Stan in the project.
2: This is the final Paramount Pictures film produced with Marvel Studios. Disney bought the rights to the Avengers and Iron Man 3 after this one.
0: Oh, so, okay. For some reason, I didn't think Disney comes in until after the Avengers. I didn't realize they were owners by the time the first Avengers comes out. I think if I remember
1: right, the Avengers logo is still Paramount, but Disney had bought them. It's just the Avengers was already like being made, essentially.
0: So it's really Disney's show then when we get into MCU phase two is really yeah. when they start having control of the properties. So, Keith, I guess what you're
1: saying is because this was Paramount's last one, we're not going to see any other enemies fall through a plane propeller and then watch them blood trails come out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, and one quick fact here, and we'll move on. Uh, originally, cameo appearances were planned in the film for James Logan Howlett, Wolverine, and Eric Lindzer, Magneto, who were present during the World War II, during the Marvel comics. But these cameos were uh, scrapped due to uh, rights issues. Yeah, with Fox. Oh,
0: man. That would have yeah. been so cool, though. I imagine yeah. if it
2: ran into Logan, it would have been kind of cool.
0: Also would have been so jarring though, then we never see them again because Disney makes the acquisition and we can't use those characters until (laughs) many years later when they buy Fox.
1: Mm -hmm. And there's a different actor playing like Wolverine,
2: even though he doesn't age. Yep. But that's it for me for production facts. If y'all want to move on to the critical reception.
0: Yes, Matt, please let us know what the critics thought at the time of release for Captain America. All right. So let's go through this real quick.
1: When it comes to box office, saw some interesting stuff. So somehow this movie apparently cost between one hundred and forty million dollars and two hundred and seventeen million dollars. So wow. it sounds like it was a box office disappointment, if you ask me, because there should not be a seventy million dollar discrepancy, I feel like. Regardless, the movie made 371 million worldwide, so this makes it the second least successful MCU movie so far. It made 100 million more than The Incredible Hulk, but I was surprised to see that it made 70 million less than Thor, only coming out a couple months later, we should add. So, the first Avenger opened on July 22nd, 2011, outgrossing other 2011 superhero films like Green Lantern and X Men First Class. When it comes to the critical response, Again, I was surprised. I know we talked about, like, people don't look back on it so fondly, but the reviews were positive overall. The film has an 80% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The website's consensus reads, With plenty of pulpy action, a pleasantly retro vibe, and a handful of fine performances, Captain America is solidly old-fashioned blockbuster entertainment. The positive reviews said the film was light among its World War II setting while maintaining a good and realistic balance between character growth, adventure, and nostalgia. The fact that the story was the focus instead of just utilizing more set pieces also seemed to be appreciated along with the performances in general. It also seemed the general setting itself was fresh compared to other superhero movies at that time, which obviously also makes sense. It wasn't common to get like a period piece until later on um, in superhero movie lore. Uh, the legendary Roger Ebert at the time said, If Marvel is wise, it will take this and Iron Man as its templates moving forward. When it comes to the negative side... Um, what was criticized was the cheesiness of the film, the film running over two hours and being too simple and
0: by the numbers. So what do you all think? Where do you land when it comes to the critics on this one? I think for the most part, I kind of agree with everything. I think it certainly has its cheesy moments. I guess the biggest positive I disagree with is I don't know if there's a ton of character growth in this movie. I don't think Steve Rogers really has a conflict that he has to overcome and makes him a different person than where he was at the beginning of the film. That's not a bad thing. Just at the beginning of the film, he's this guy with a lot of heart and courage and he's still that same character at the end of the film too. So I don't know if there is a whole lot of growth from him in this movie.
2: His conflict really was like his the physical side of him. Like he was just a scrawny little guy getting beaten up and now now he actually has the ability to beat other people up. But that's that's what I like the line from Dr. Erskine is that he's like, don't lose yourself you know, by becoming this new person. Um, As far as the critical reception goes, the runtime, like I said, my initial thoughts, this movie went by really fast for me, so runtime didn't really bother me all that much.
0: It goes by fast for me until we get into like the middle of the second act. And then I think it starts to drag because I think that's where kind of it loses some of its momentum and the story gets a little kind of nonsensical at times.
2: That's fair. Yeah. What about you, Matthew? What'd you think about the runtime? Uh, yeah, the runtime isn't a
1: huge issue for me on this one. Usually whenever that's criticized, I typically agree, but I'm a bit more with Keith that it, it definitely flies by. I haven't had any real issues with runtime so far with the MCU phase one, at least. But um, yeah, I, I think probably could have cut some stuff out. And I do agree with Austin in general that I think the weakest part is around that middle point. Not for too long, but it's definitely not my favorite. Um, and yeah, overall, I think I kind of just agree both positive and negative uh, besides that. I guess I can understand the cheesiness thing being a negative. It works for me overall, but I think in some instances, when maybe it goes too far and it also kind of intertwines with the villain stuff, motivations, and just kind of the CG flair with that, um, that's probably where it works the least for me.
0: I am surprised that it made less money than Thor, though. I feel like Captain America is a, is a well-known IP compared and to Thor, And later in the summer, too.
2: Like you would have yeah. thought that. That is kind of
0: weird. I wonder if maybe with them coming right off of the heels of each other, maybe there's a little bit of MCU burnout since it... Back then, it really wasn't what it is today. I also have to wonder,
1: Iron Man and Iron Man 2, looking at their box offices, at the time, they did considerably better than both Thor and Captain America. And uh, Iron Man 2's post-credit had Thor. So maybe people were kind of amped for Thor when that came around. Whereas now, thinking about it, the Thor post-credit, it, doesn't, it sets up the Avengers. It has the Tesseract in it, which is more focused on here, but it doesn't really set up Captain America. So maybe that had a part to play.
0: At that time, too, we are also still kind of coming off of the recession as well. So maybe people are, maybe they're not going to see both superhero films at the box office. Maybe they're just picking one movie to see.
2: Yeah, could be. Could be many factors for sure.
0: factors. All right, Matt. Well, thank you for breaking down the critical reception. I think it's now time to get into our little game that we like to play on this show. Let's do our plot summary and let's play Can We Break It Down? All right. So we have a lot going on in our prologue. We discover a World War II plane crash in the
1: Arctic, and we flash back to 1942 Norway to get introduced to the Tesseract and Johan Smit. Austin, what do you think we need to know here?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing to know here is that Johan Smit and his Hydra soldiers are raiding kind of a Viking tomb. So we are making our Odin connection. Uh, We do find the Tesseract And it it comes under the control of Johann Smith, the Red Skull. And he also makes it clear that he's not working for Hitler. He thinks what Hitler's doing is kind of dumb. And he's actually going after the real power versus what he calls trinkets in the desert.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic with the whole Nazi thing uh, in this one when focusing on someone that doesn't like Hitler, but obviously not a great guy by the end of the movie. So whatever. Um, So then we cut to New York City where we meet Steve Rogers, but not the Steve Rogers we know today when it comes to the physicality, at least. Keith, what did you think of the introduction to this legendary hero as well as his best buddy, Bucky Barnes?
2: I like the introduction. Like I said earlier, I think he's really established his character. They really established his character well. In the beginning, even though he doesn't have the physical brute to back it up at all times, and I kind of like that. they show, yeah, him getting bullied, but he doesn't back down. And then his old buddy, Bucky Barnes comes in, who's like this suave, good-looking dude. He has the girls around his arms, and he's trying to get Steve to uh, go out and go out and dance with them, but Steve is just adamant about joining the army, and he eventually finds a way, which we'll get into.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I like the introduction as well. And I always like we talked about it in our Star Wars reviews, but I like when you can introduce characters that are supposed to be like literally like the oldest of friends. And it's like, well, they clearly just met each other like on set. But here I thought I don't know what it was, the performance or the writing, but they do seem like really old friends. I actually really like their goodbye, even though they're kind of fighting, but they both realize we got to hug it out because we might not see each other again. And I also like that Bucky, in a weird way, is trying to protect him by like, why do you even want to fight? Why are you doing this? Like, it's not safe. And then he's like, I mean, people are laying down their lives. Why do I have any right to do any less than them? And it's like, this is a good setup. I like it. I like it. So now the film, like Keith mentioned, kind of kicks into high gear once we meet Dr. Erskine, played by Stanley Tucci. He gives Steve a chance he never thought he would get. So, Austin, how about you tell me about that? And what did you think of the initial training scenes along with Colonel Phillips and Agent Peggy Carter?
0: Yeah, so Doctor Erskine kind of tracks down uh Steve Rogers and and realizes that he's been going to a bunch of different recruiting centers and and lying about his origin, his name, all that stuff just to get enlisted into the war. Uh, Erskine is impressed when Steve says he's really only wants to sign up because he doesn't like bullies. He's not there just because he wants to go on a killing rampage. Um, and he gives him the chance. He realizes that Steve has the heart that they need for the Super Soldier program, and then he joins the special wing of the army, which is led by Colonel Phillips and Peggy Carter. I think the training scenes are great. It kind of establishes that because Steve is the smaller guy, he's always forced to use his head instead of his like um, physical gifts because he doesn't have any. Um, as for the scenes with Agent Peggy Carter, I, I think they have good chemistry. I don't think we're given enough time to buy that they've actually fallen for each other because all of their scenes together is just kind of one or the other one getting jealous of the other one.
1: I think it's actually kind of eerily similar to the relationship in Thor. I think the chemistry's there. there. Um, it's just... And Thor, it's also silly because it's been three days and they're like in love. And here, yeah, it's only yeah, it feels like here they just skipped over some scenes. That's the only issue. But I agree with you overall. Um, Obviously, here we get the pretty iconic. um They also mentioned it in the Falcon, the Winter Soldier, jumping on the grenade scene. I just love Tommy Lee Jones. His reaction is just like, no, I'm not doing it. That guy, he's big, he's fast, he's tough. And then Erskine's like, no, we don't want that. And he immediately just tosses a grenade. Steve jumps on, and Tommy Lee Jones like. No, still skinny, <laughs> and walks away. <laughs> oh, he's so good! All right, so let's finish up with these introductions. Keith, tell me what you thought of that whole super soldier transformation scene, along with Erskine's
2: untimely death. Watching it this time, after watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, kind of uh, made it a little bit different for me. Seeing it this time, watching him go into the like, the weird chamber thing, because in Falcon and Winter Soldier, they're you know they just inject it. It seems like, and then that's it. They're they're good. They had the serum. This one, they actually had to actually go into some kind of weird chamber and inject all these different things into every, every muscle. Yeah, I think it looked cool overall. And I thought it was kind of weird that they did it in a speakeasy in Brooklyn. I thought that was kind of odd, but um, whatever. <laughs> I kind of went like with it. like an old
1: woman as the guard. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> who,
0: who, a machine gun. who dies immediately. <laughs> yeah, She <laughs> so misses every shot with her gun. As far as Erskine's
2: death goes... It was mm. kind of weird that there were, some spy was in there. Like, how was he able to get in there? But I, I guess it's 1940s, so they couldn't figure that out security-wise. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it was kind of sad to see him die. It was kinda, I, I liked his character, and I, I thought it been, would have been cool to see him continue on in the movie and possibly other movies. But, um, I mean, it made sense why they killed him, because he was helping the Allies making super soldiers in a successful way instead of how the Allies were, or the Axis powers were doing it with uh, Red Skull.
1: I also liked uh, just the little touch of whenever he like runs for the first time. And it's like kind of realistic where he's running because he knows how to run. But then he's like, oh, I can run really fast. It's going to scare me. Yeah. <laughs> so that was cool. Um. But yeah, so now let's kind of finish up here. So now that we're, we have all that out of the way, Austin, just kind of generally walk me through the second act. Tell me about Steve promoting war bonds, finding out about Bucky and the others capture the team up of him and Peggy saving the soldiers and that good old reveal of the red skull himself.
0: Yeah, so Steve's kind of chased down of the Nazi spy that killed Erskine gets, gets captured in the papers, and the military realizes they can use this Captain America figure to sell war bonds. I think they say like everywhere he goes has like a thirty percent increase in war bond sales. So he go he tours the country, uh, selling war bonds, doing like skits on stage. He gets shipped overseas to try and cheer up troops. Uh, I think it's in Italy, but that doesn't go so well. He hasn't really been fighting, and and they don't they make fun of the fact that he's a captain who has never seen combat. While he's there, though, he learns that Bucky's infantry division has has become captured and no one is going to help them. So he goes rogue. He helps them. uh, He's believed to be dead. And then when he comes back, uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character realizes they can use him more effectively in the war against Hydra and the Red Skull.
1: So after that, the movie itself kind of starts to wrap up. They go after Hydra scientist Arnim Zola, with Bucky falling off a train to his death in the process. They interrogate Zola, head to the final Hydra base, and Steve hops aboard a plane about to drop bombs all around the world at the behest of Schmidt himself. Of course, Schmidt is defeated and disappears because of the Tesseract. And Steve, unfortunately, has to drop the plane in the water to stop it, thus leading him to being frozen for 70 years. Right beforehand, he says his goodbyes to Peggy, and the film ends with Steve waking up in the present day, fleeing to Times Square, and being recruited by Nick Fury for an upcoming mission that we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks with the Avengers.
0: Cue the trailer in the post-credits scene. Not just the scene, a full-on trailer and a montage of all the scenes we'll be getting in the Avengers. Yeah, that was crazy. Very uh, 2010s esque shooting, too, when it's like, some... Assembly required
1: <laughs> this summer. <I'm> like, oh,
0: <laughs> it's not even a good trailer.
1: It's really just scenes of them standing.
2: <laughs> I, I, I liked it, though. I liked how bad it was. I was like, <laughs> I, I, feel like I'm, I feel like it was in 2004 watching Big Fat Liar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wish. Also important to remember, though, at the time, that is the first shots we've ever seen for the coming Avengers movie. So I'm sure it played way better in theaters.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, literally, like, the big epic end shot of the trailer is Thor standing with his head in his hands, Bruce Banner obscured in the background, and then Captain America just sitting stiffly in a chair. Like, that's the end (laughs) shot of the
0: trailer. (laughs) Cool. All right, my friends, let's get into our roundtable discussion. Who would like to kick us off today? Yeah, so I'll kick it off.
1: Um, I really like how this movie seems to balance a grounded character origin, real life events, action and adventure, and a 1940s comic book cheesiness that we mentioned earlier. Obviously, when it gets too cheesy, I don't love it, but the generalness I did like. I think it comes together just in a solid package, like we talked about at the top. Um, but I did want to know like, what you guys thought of that balance in
2: general, as well as does the introduction to Steve work? Uh, yeah, like I mentioned before, the introduction works for me. I think they really establish who he is as a person. He's a good guy. He means well. Uh, he doesn't back down from a fight. He doesn't like seeing people be bullied, which is why he wants to join the uh, the war movement. The whole line of, like, do you want to kill Nazis? He's like, it's like, no, I don't want to kill anybody. I just want to, you know, I just don't like seeing the little guy beating, beating, getting beaten down. Uh, so it really establishes who he is and... Yeah, I mean, I like that he stays the same person even after he becomes the super soldier, which we don't get to see with future super soldiers coming up.
0: Yeah, I think they do a really great job of establishing who Steve Rogers is as a character. I think his origin and his motivations are the best part of this film. I don't think they do a great job of tying it into real life events because these really aren't any real life events. It's all like a comic booky plot, which I'm usually all for, but in, I don't think it works in the context of World War II. I do think they do a great job too of establishing like the super soldier serum is going to amplify everything within you. So if you're good at your core, you're going to become better. If you're bad at your core, you're going to become worse. And I think they do a great job of illustrating that by having Steve Rogers on one side and, and Red Skull on the other side.
2: Yeah. I mean, that goes into what you remember Tom Lee Jones's character was trying to select the guy out of his uh, platoon there. And he wanted to, he wanted to pick like the, uh, like the douchebag guy. I can't remember his name and Earth Scheme is like, no, like. You have to look at who the person is on the inside, too, because he wanted a guy who has guts. And then obviously we get into the whole grenade thing.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I just really like Steve Rogers as a character. And while I agree, um, it's not like he majorly changes or grows as the movie goes on. I guess you could make an argument that is the point. I mean, Erskine tells him not to change. So we could have seen a plot where he gets this. A bigger body he's maybe viewed as more attractive by some or something like he's stronger faster all that stuff so maybe he becomes a bit like he takes it for granted becomes a bit of a douche maybe um and just kind of tries to beat up on people that you know beat up on him or whatever so the fact that he doesn't change and he's still the same person maybe in a weird way is kind of his arc the fact that he was able to live up to that idea that the doctor gave him before the whole injection so i, I do i just like the character um yeah, I do agree with Austin, though. I think sometimes the balance of what the movie's trying to do does get a bit wonky, just because there is a lot going on. But um, overall, it works enough for me, so, you know.
0: I think probably the most apt comparison for this movie is, of course, the first Wonder Woman. Um, I don't want to compare the two too much, but having Wonder Woman involved in just, like, everyday World War One battles, I think made that movie ultimately more interesting, versus having the entirety of, of, the, of the World War II plot here uh, revolve around HYDRA and the Red Skull. How cool would it have been to have like a D-Day, Saving Private Ryan-style movie that just happens to have Captain America involved? I'm all for going all out with our crazy plots in our comic book movies, but this one, it just seemed like they kind of tried to have too much of the grounded story, mixed with the crazy villain and weapons, and, and ultimately Red Skull and his soldiers just seemed really jarring and out of place for me. Like, even though... Red Skull is doing some pretty evil stuff. For me, it's hard to believe that he is more evil than what the Nazis are doing in the entirety of World War II. It just seems like having just Hitler and our generic Nazi shoulders would have been better villains in this movie.
2: Another fact that I meant to tell you guys earlier was, so up until a very late stage in pre-production, Hydra would have been a blatantly Nazi military organization with swastikas on their uniform. There was deleted scenes that also had Hydra explicitly attacking Nazis in addition to the Allied powers. So, hmm. yeah, they weren't exactly aligned with the Nazis, I guess.
1: They did have that scene where they revealed that he was planning to drop a bomb on Berlin as well. So, I guess elements of that carried over. But I do, yeah, I do admit it's not always super clear what's going on with them.
2: As far as Red Skull goes, I mean, his character was okay. <laughs> I didn't really pay attention to it too much. I just didn't find he was like saying anything. That was outrageous and, like, scary. I don't know. He just kind of – it just felt like he was in everything for himself, really, to make himself stronger. Yeah, I
1: did like the aspect of once Steve Rogers comes into the picture, though, it's like all about beating him because – and I guess you could even tie that into some Nazi fundamentalist ideas, but he just believes he's the apex predator, so whenever he sees that Erskine took this – loser probably in his opinion and use the serum on them to create captain america it's like well i'm me i mean i'm the perfected version like you're not i'm gonna prove it to you and yeah so it does get a little interesting when you tie steve into it but unfortunately there is way more than that going on than just his relationship with steve
0: yeah i just think the world war ii setting is already so interesting that like we already have a a baked in great villain to this historical conflict so i think it we could have almost had a more grounded just like war movie with Captain America involved. Like, it would have been really cool, I think, to see him like storming the beaches of Normandy or or involved in the Battle of the Bulge. And maybe like, Red Skull is just this villain of the Nazi leadership, or like a general in the Nazi leadership. And, and that's who his squadron happens to be going after, because that's what they had to do in World War Two, they had to kind of take out a lot of Hitler's generals to ultimately get to him. So I just think there's a better way to tie all this into the historical event of World War Two. than basically sectioning off a section of Germany and saying, here's where we're going to just only focus on Hydra and Red Skull.
1: I get that. I, I feel like a, a version of that could have worked. I would probably... I'm not even really arguing it. I'm sure that could have been a cool movie. I like I liked the version where it's a bit more fictional and has kind of that cheesiness. It, overall, it works for me, like I said. But I would have to imagine the reason they didn't go with something super, super grounded and realistic is because maybe... It might have been too jarring whenever you watch the Avengers and it's like, oh, yeah, that was that guy that was just like a like a grounded soldier or something. So maybe they were trying to have a more even tone across those appearances. But that's really all I could really guess.
0: Well, I don't even think you need to really change the Steve Trevor from this movie. I just think you need to change like all the stuff he's involved in. Like, I think you can have the same character that they presented here. Just have him kind of be more involved in actual World War Two events. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that could have worked for sure.
2: Yeah, it does start to lose me when, like, all it shows is, like, the futuristic looking German soldiers with the Iron Man like guns technology that, like, would not exist in that time period. But, like you said, Austin, I think it would have been cooler if they just focused on, like, the super soldier serum serum and trying to harness that on both allies and Axis powers, which they did, but they had to bring, like, the futuristic stuff into it as well. But, yeah, it would have been cool just to have them in regular battles with actual German soldiers wearing their actual uniforms they would have worn during that time. Uh, But yeah, it just kind of made it hard to believe that we were in 1943, World War II Europe. It was a little bit too sci-fi-ish for me in that regard. I think for me, the reason it works,
1: and it kind of ties back to the last point, is I think by giving it this kind of weird, not even just, it doesn't have to be a sci-fi element, but just anything like that, it makes it feel less like this gritty war drama and more like a fun comic book movie which at its core it does kind of have to be even though it is set during a very serious and dark time and kind of coming up with this interesting way of like oh there's this thing called the tesseract which ties into odin it was his prized item in his treasure room that was hiding out on earth um and then schmidt finds it and then he and zola use it to create all those weapons so I kind of like that aspect. It gave it, I guess what I'm saying, it made it feel more comic booky. Again, I do agree. It definitely is a bit maybe too silly at times. It doesn't always work. But I guess I maybe what it comes down to is I think I just prefer this type of story to maybe seeing Steve in like a grounded, more realistic setting of World War II, like that version. I don't know.
0: I know they're trying to present to us a period piece, and I think they really nailed that aspect of this film up until we, we actually go to World War II. Like, him selling war bonds and all that is, yeah. is really cool mm-hmm. and a great idea to use for that character, yeah. especially showing, like, the comic book sales of Captain America. That I thought that was a really nice touch, too. It's just the second we actually get to the actual war, he's weirdly not a part of it. He's off doing his own thing facing Hydra.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I think after that uh, saving the soldiers sequence, it definitely, I can... Once that montage comes around and then they're doing like that train heist and then going to the final base with the plane. Yeah, it definitely could have just been a generic thing that took place during a war, not necessarily World War Two. So I get that point.
0: But to just completely go against my own point, though, that (laughs) montage is pretty sweet. I did really enjoy that montage. I liked
2: it. And like you said, Matt, I think it does work for making it that wholesome comic book movie. Maybe we'll get another version of Captain America further down the line. Maybe that's not an MCU, like a more gritty, like rated R version of him, where he's just like fucking up German soldiers, like on the beaches of Normandy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which there are versions of the comics like that like him and logan
1: like just destroying people together like that that's actual stuff from the comics it's kind of dark and cool but yeah yeah i get why maybe it didn't work for the movie but it doesn't always work in this movie so i see both sides of it
0: did you guys like that steve has a pistol and a shield which is exactly what they give john walker and the Falcon and yeah. the winter soldier
1: oh yeah. it makes sense it makes sense also because he's like fuck dude i don't know how to catch this thing yet so give me a gun <laughs> <laughs> So I feel like with all of our episodes so far with the MCU phase one, we talk a lot about character dynamics. I think that's something the writers probably try to inject in there for dramatic effect, definitely comedy. So we've had like Tony and Pepper, Tony and Rhodey, Banner and Betty, Thor and Jane, Thor and Loki, etc. I think this movie has some of the stronger ones, like I mentioned, with Steve and Peggy as well as Steve and Bucky. And I guess the highest praise is I think it gets some good scenes in there without giving either of these relationships too much screen time, which we did give a little bit of criticism to earlier, but I did kind of want to hone on that more a little bit. So what did you all think of these particular character dynamics? How did they build up and play out for you? And if you wanted to throw some more in there, like maybe the Steve and Erskine relationship, like what, like what character dynamics worked for you in this movie? I was curious.
0: Yeah. Hands down the two best relationships in this film is, as uh, Steve and Bucky and Steve and Erskine. All their scenes together are great. I like how Erskine kind of takes on this like mentor figure almost in Steve's life because we don't see anything about his parents. So it it seems like his biggest mentor really does become Erskine. And he's kind of is that coach that Steve can turn to whenever he's getting ready to take the super soldier serum. And then the Steve and Bucky, they just do a great job establishing that friendship. Like you said, Matt, from the second we see them on screen together, we buy that these two have known each other forever and that they're, they're really good friends who care about each other. I do think the Steve and Peggy relationship, like I've said, I think they have great chemistry. I don't think we have enough scenes to buy that they've actually fallen in love for each other. All their scenes are either at the training grounds or Steve getting jealous of what he thinks is her having a relationship with Howard Stark and then Peggy getting jealous of him being kissed by a secretary at the Allied Command.
1: Natalie Dormer, though. Anybody would have been jealous of that. Ooh. Ooh. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, I definitely get your point. I, I, I don't quite agree. I do, like you said, I love the chemistry between them. And uh, in terms of the relationship, at the very least, they're not in one. So that's an argument. By the end, they're not in one. It's just all it really amounts to is that goodbye kiss and the dance and setting the date, even though he's presumably going to his death. Um, the, the only thing that doesn't work that's jarring is it goes from her getting mad at him for kissing Natalie Dormer to the next time we see anything relationship-wise is her watching a movie with him in it and seeing her picture in his compass. And it's like Tommy, so Lee, jo- Tommy Lee Jones is just like,
0: <laughs>
1: he's still skinny. How did he get
0: that photo? Um, did he sneak I don't up know. behind that and take good, it? <laughs> that's a
1: good question. I don't want to know the answer. <laughs> did she give it to him? That would have been a good scene. We, we didn't yeah. see it.
2: <laughs> I mean, I liked Stephen Peggy's relationship. It, was just, it wasn't necessarily a relationship, but it was, but it was a build-up to one. You can tell they yeah. were like gonna have one later on, and obviously he dies slash freezes in Norway, so uh, that didn't happen. But yeah, uh, I liked it. I thought it was fun, and I thought I thought Haley Atwood played a really cool part. I just liked her character, e- either whether she was flirting with him or on her own. I just I just thought she was badass, and uh, it made I think it made sense why they were together. I mean, they both had similar characteristics, and she kind of liked him. Even before he had the super yeah. soldier serum, she was kind of- worth noting. Give him a little bit of flirting in the car on the way over, so- Yeah, that was yeah, cute. it worked for me. And another relationship that worked for me was the Earth Scheme one. Um, mm-hmm. You kind of covered all the points, I would say, on that. And maybe one more to mention would be him and uh, Colonel Phillips, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. even though he didn't didn't really like him. I just liked how he kind of, that kind of turned over a new leaf there once he rescued all the people. For sure.
0: Does, uh, does the Peggy and Steve relationship in this movie, make it harder for you guys to buy that he gives up everything in Endgame to go back and have a relationship with her? Because I had remembered that they actually have a relationship in this film and they really don't. So I, I don't know if I buy it enough now that he's like madly in love with her and, and only wants to go back and have like more moments with her. Because they really don't know each other that well, it seems like by the end of this film. I buy it.
2: To me, I feel like they know each other well enough. And, and the fact that he was born in the 20s, so like in his head, Like he's still that kid from that's you know that grew up in Brooklyn and all that, so he just kind of just wants to go back to that. He's he's mainly was just working when he's in the Avengers. He didn't really have to, really didn't get to live a life, so his life was really in the 40s, I guess. I think it's a multitude of things. I think I agree with your points that it doesn't
1: work as a relationship, even though it technically isn't a relationship. Um, but that being said, I do think the last line of the movie still is so effective. I mean, that's how they ended the comic book movie is just him saying that he'll be all right, but he's sad because he had a date that he missed essentially. Um, and I, I yeah, I mean, I don't want to be too specific in the future, but also to build on that point, we do know in winter soldier that she is still alive at that point. She's just extremely old. So he was able to find out that she was still alive in the present and they were able to have conversations and then when she eventually passes of old age, I think it's just a combination of things. I think he was on the way to being in love with her. He felt so strongly about her and then finds out she's alive and then has to lose her again. And then, yeah. So I think by the time he decides to go back, I think it's decently justified. But you know, whenever we go through the movies again, maybe we'll feel differently. I don't know.
0: Well, and I'm also glad you brought up kind of the last lines that they have together, because I do think. Whenever Red Skull is gone and he starts to crash the plane, from that point on, going into the closing stuff of this movie, the movie gets great again mm-hmm. from like where it lost its footing. I think all the closing stuff in this movie is just fantastic and, and some of the best we've gotten in the phase one so far.
1: 100%. 100%. I think it's just a testament to the production design of how they made 1940s whenever you see this guy now running through present day, which at the time wasn't jarring for us. I mean, that's how New York looks, but seeing him run through the streets is so weird. Because we saw him do that on a set earlier and it looked so good. So it makes the ending all the more better.
0: What do you guys think about Red Skull's death? How did you like him getting sucked up? Obviously, we know where that character goes in Endgame. And then also, did you like that he mentioned, I've seen a world without flags. And now in Falcon and Winter Soldier, we have the Flag Smashers who are trying to argue for a world without flags and borders. Hmm.
1: I didn't catch that last part, but that is interesting.
2: Can you all explain Red Skull's death to me again? I'm trying to even remember what happened. The... Long and short of it is the Tesseract, we
1: find out later, has an Infinity Stone in it. That stone is the Space Stone, and it can be used to open portals. So the idea of a portal being created and him getting sucked out isn't out of character for the Tesseract, if you want to say that.
0: So crazy. So crazy to see that and then know what happens in Endgame. Mm -hmm. like. Did they have that scene already written at the time of this movie? I'm I don't. So I curious. don't think so
1: because I know that Marvel wanted Hugo Weaving to come back for years, um, but he just wanted to move on from the character. So I think it would have been different if he had popped up in the sequel. I always had a theory because they do something similar in the comics. I think they wanted Robert Redford and Winter Soldier to at the end the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., to pull off his skin again and be revealed to be an older red skull that survived to present day. I always feel like that's what they were trying to do, but it didn't work out.
0: So let's talk about Howard Stark. Howard Stark here.
1: (laughs) Hey, Peggy, want to get some fondue? It's like, no, we're in a war zone. Shut up. (laughs) You go ahead. Sorry.
0: We've talked a lot about these phase one films kind of tying together and, and connecting to the broader MCU. What do you think about Howard Stark's involvement in this film? I had forgotten how much screen time he actually has in this movie. Having him as the weapons contractor for the army, I think, makes a ton of sense. Having him actually on the ground in flying missions in Germany feels extremely forced to me, especially when they kind of go out of their way to point out that he's still operating as a civilian pilot. Did it feel like this just exists to give this movie a connection to Iron Man, or did this work for you guys? I think everything you just said is right. I
1: think yes. I think it's just in there to be a connection to Iron Man, Um, but I still like it. And this is an interconnected universe, so I think it was a cool addition. I Like you said, it makes sense that he would have been utilized as a weapons manufacturer in the war. And just just the simpler concept that he came up with the shield that Captain America wears is also really badass. As for the pilot thing, I also thought it was weird. But then I, I also thought about it and I was like, well, I guess it kind of makes sense of him being a civilian pilot because it's not like Peggy Carter can drag someone, like a, another soldier, into their mess and get somebody else in trouble. So. I guess that kind of worked, but yeah. It, I mean, yes. To answer your overall question, he is forced in the movie, but I think it was on purpose, and it's fun, so I still like
2: it. It worked for me. I like seeing it. it. was a good I thought, thought it was a good connection to Iron Man. And as far as the him in the plane scene, yeah, it was I mean, it was a bit ridiculous that they're getting shot at a shit ton, and they're like, no one's freaking out at all. They're just like, yeah. oh, okay, let's keep. He's flying. the best pilot I've ever
0: seen. I gotta get out
1: of here.
2: <laughs> let's go get some fondue. Yeah, and. Then,
0: <laughs> Why does Steve think fondue is a sexual thing, too? I think uh, How dumb is this guy? I, I did like the following
1: he? scene, though, where he's like, oh, so it's just a food. And he's like, or no, I think it's Howard's like, it's just a food, buddy. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> like he just has no idea. <laughs> so, but yeah. I, do, I, I do agree with you that it was like, come on, Steve, come on. Also a fun connection uh, that I just popped in my head was in Iron Man 2, it was the whole big thing that Tony was bringing back the Stark Expo that his dad started in, in this movie. We see that, that which is cool. kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and I liked how it didn't work, but he's still charismatic in the same way that Tony is just like, well, it's not perfect. <laughs> Something like that. So it was kind of fun.
2: Now that we've seen Falcon and Winter Soldier, how does this movie kind of relate to you guys on that one now? And I know we already went back. We both, we all three went back and watched Civil War to kind of have it as reference. So now that we've seen Captain America First Adventure, does it like kind of change things the way you saw um, Falcon and Winter Soldier?
0: I think the best I can say is, um, the Bucky and Steve friendship, I feel like you totally buy their history just from the start of this film, going into the sequel, the Avengers, everything we get. Like, it's really cool to see their friendship actually in the forties, see their friendship in the present day, and then now see Bucky mourning Steve's death. Like, I think all that feels so great in every single film they have together. Uh, their relationship has always been good and it's really cool to see kind of the impacts that Steve has had on Bucky's life.
1: Yeah, I just think in general, you get an appreciation for truly how awful, in a weird way, it would be to survive that encounter, which I know sounds weird, but then wake up 70 years later. I mean, I I still think one of the best lines in Falcon the Winter Soldier is Bucky talking about how basically he didn't get to mourn his family because he just woke up one day and they were all dead at once. Um, And yeah, so now that Steve is gone and we only have Bucky... It kind of watching this film makes you appreciate that loneliness a bit more that these characters have to deal with. The fact that they're men out of time and um, now that Bucky is not even with Steve, he has less of a tether to this world. And like where he goes from there was so interesting to watch in the show. And I don't think I would have appreciated that as much had I not rewatched this movie and kind of just the Captain America films in general
0: also makes you appreciate even more the opening scene in Falcon and Winter Soldier with the therapist where he's like, I've never known, all I've known is war and fighting. I knew a a fraction of peace when I was in Wakanda, but every every time I was coming out from under ice, I was fighting or killing. That's all I've ever known. And it kind of just makes you appreciate that scene more kind of going back and being reminded, oh yeah, not only, even before this guy was the Winter Soldier, he was also fighting in World War II. Like he literally has only known war or fighting for the majority of his adult life.
1: I think it also directly ties in with Sam and um, John Walker. Sam in the sense of when you watch Steve Rogers journey in this movie, there's so many connections to Sam's journey that started in Winter Soldier and his background and what he values. Like, yes, he was a soldier and he fought and he killed, but his primary purpose in life is to help other soldiers get through their trauma and get better. And if you, I feel like if you just watch Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's like, well, John Walker's a good guy. Why is he bad when he takes the serum? But then when you see kind of um, Steve's background and Erskine stuff, like, Erskine was like, I would rather give it to a weak man, straight up. I want to give this to somebody that, like, values strength. If you give it to somebody that's already powerful, they'll take it for granted. And we see that literally happen. John Walker is not a terrible person, but he takes it and he has no value for it. So he abuses it. So... uh, Yeah, watching this movie specifically, I was pleasantly surprised that it did enhance the Falcon Winter Soldier experience, a movie that is three phases later than this one.
2: I was going to say, from a technical standpoint, that kind of went to my next question. Like, does it change your view on the Super Soldier serum? And due to the fact that, like, Steve is really, or Erskine's formula at the beginning of this one in the the 40s was really like the, the perfect serum? Or do you think it's the same serum all throughout
0: and it just depends on the person? I think it's the same serum. They just refined its use better. Like you don't have to go through the whole, we got to grow the bones and, and all that. Like it's they just made it more, it's kind of like with the vaccine right now, with the COVID vaccine. We have vaccines that require two doses. We may need booster shots later on. 10 years from now, it's probably going to be one shot that's quick, easy, and effective. It's, it's just, they've just refined it over time. Same thing with the super soldier serum.
1: It's one of those kind of fucked up things too, where maybe it was in the long run for the better that, Erskine died, despite his best efforts and good nature. I mean, had he, even if he was able to develop a better serum, it is kind of scary thinking about an entire platoon of just super soldiers, knowing in the future how most of them, despite being decent people, are still corrupted by it. So who knows? Maybe it worked out in a weird way. But yeah, I I do like to think that it it is kind of the same general formula and it is the person. Because also, again, another tie into Falcon and Winter Soldier. I love that scene when Zima was talking about how much he despises super soldiers at their core and his fundamental belief that they are an abuse of power, essentially, and shouldn't exist, even if they are good. And of course, Sam and Bucky's response to that is, well, what about Steve? He wasn't corrupted. And then I just love Zemo's like, there's never been another Steve Rogers. A villain acknowledging that is like, he's right. I mean, this thing is an abuse of power and it's worked once out of all these attempts. I mean, it's kind of scary, Uh, but it also, of course, in retrospect, makes us love Steve Rogers even more. Because he's just a good person that kind of doesn't take his power for granted and uses it for good.
0: Only counter I would say to your point is I think you could make the argument it, it does work with Bucky. It he just wasn't given the chance to Yeah develop uh, it on yeah, his yeah. own. That's true.
1: Yeah. That's true. Good call.
0: Okay, guys, we're gonna start wrapping it up, but I gotta close us out with kind of the question we always do at the end of these uh at the end of this retrospective and review series. Now that we're sitting here in twenty twenty one watching Captain America and the first Avenger. How does this movie feel to you looking at kind of the broader MCU as a whole? Does it feel like an outlier? Does it feel a part of it? What do you guys think?
2: No, it doesn't feel like an outlier to me. It feels like just a good origin story. I think it's up there with Iron Man to be... I'm not saying it's up there with Iron Man as far as it being one of my favorite MCU movies, but it's up there in the sense that it's a good origin and first film for Captain America. And as far as can this movie stand alone... Sure. Yeah, it's a fun, quick movie. I don't think you need to watch the rest of MCU to enjoy this one. I, I totally
1: agree. I think this is actually a really amazing example of a balance between standalone and um, just being part of this huge, long-running franchise. I mean, whether or not we love every aspect of it, I could very easily, and I have before, just turn this movie on and watch it. I don't need to watch the other four or five or whatever movie, however, came before this. I don't have to watch those to then watch this. And I don't have to watch the Avengers after. I just think it's an enjoyable experience. But at the same time, there's enough in here with Howard Stark and just setting up with the Tesseract and some of the villains and the Avengers in general and just how he wakes up in present day that is really cool elements of the longer journey we'll be on. And of course, the biggest piece of that is the biggest... Part of like retroactive appreciation I have for this movie is seeing where Steve Rogers, a character, is in ten years after this movie, and even after he's moved on, thinking about his legacy, um, seeing where he started, it makes this movie feel even more important. I feel like in the scheme of the MCU, it, it's just such a great origin to a great character.
0: Only thing I'll add is going back through all these Phase One films, I really have kind of gained a newfound appreciation of of how great Marvel is at tying their movies together, building that connective thread. I'm so impressed with how these first films still really do feel a part of the MCU, but then also how this film, especially, and and Thor probably as well, both really can stand on their own and, and be enjoyable watches too. Before we get out of here today, we do of course need to do our Arnie's Podcast Awards. If you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. Keith always starts us off. Keith, what do you got for us today?
2: I think I will do the first Elon Musk award, and that Mm -hmm. goes to Mr. Howard Stark when he's showing off his hover car at the expo. Oh, the precursor to Tesla.
0: Wow. I'm happy for Howard Stark, Keith. I'm so glad you can put him on the same level as Elon Musk, or maybe it's Elon Musk being on the same level as Howard Stark. Who's to say? Thank you for that award, Keith. (laughs) <laughs> also weird, too, because Elon Musk is, is canon in the MCU that's true. as well, if Iron we think Man about 2. Iron Man too. He's friends um, with his son. My award today, though, will be for Captain America himself. More specifically, the Captain America suit, and it is the most awkward shoulder pads, mm, question mark? That's fair. What are they doing with those shoulder pads? How is that protecting him from anything? It looks like inflatable, like he looks like he has to puff him up every time before he goes in the battle. Howard, why do these, I mean, the suit is incredible. The
1: shield, I mean just gorgeous but the shoulder pads i mean do i need those he's like steve i put in a inflatable life raft so you can uh save yourself if you fall in the water okay (laughs)
0: thank you but howard but howard i'm so out of breath from inflating these every time i go into combat
1: sorry steve can't hear you i'm halfway out the door i'm taking three different women to fondue i hate my son
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay matt close us out today
1: what is your award the award I'm giving is for the worst job, and that is for the poor, poor artist that had to draw Red Skull without his mask on, and he was probably murdered after that as well. He had to stare at it. He had to somehow give depth with only red paint, and frankly,
0: that is a tough job, so good on you. So funny when that scientist is like, it's a masterpiece, and then like, <laughs> he just, just runs, runs away. And he's like, I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> I did I was actually kinda pissed off at that.
2: I was, I thought it was going to pan over and then it never did. I was yeah, like, are you too. kidding me? I kind of wanted kinda to see liked that paint.
1: Though. I, I thought it was a cool like <laughs> tease. Like we didn't get the intro until later, but it was fun knowing that he's only using red paint. It's like, oh, I see what's going on." Okay.
0: All right. Well, everybody, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that really is the best way to help us continue to grow this show. And hey, leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, a starred review on Apple Podcasts really does help. At The TheArnie's is our social, and TheArnie's.media is the website. The MCU series will continue in two weeks with The Avengers, and next week we have a new release coming out that I know Matt and Keith are excited for. We are going to be talking about the reboot for Mortal Kombat. God.
1: I am so excited. This is going to be a good one. I will say... They released the first seven minutes of the movie on YouTube, and I watched it. No spoilers, but... It's on HBO, too. Oh, all right. Well, we are in for a treat, I think. I really enjoyed it. It's going to be a fun episode.
0: Early reviews have been positive. I was surprised to
1: see. Oh, I didn't know that. That's good to know. So, yeah, like Austin said, definitely check out that Mortal Kombat episode. We also last week did our bracket on the best, best picture winner of all time. So go check that out. And the Falcon and Winter Soldier finale, we did that, too. So check that out. And if you don't have enough of your MCU fix, we will be back in two weeks for the Avengers to wrap up phase one. So tons of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline.
2: And check us out on Instagram at The Arnie's. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode and upcoming episodes, please go back and catch up on Falcon the Winter Soldier. We just finished that up. That was a fun one. Had a great time with it. And also catch up on this series. So go back and watch Iron Man, Iron Man 2, The Incredible Hulk, Thor, and Captain America. And look forward to the Avengers. And please let us know if we missed any best pictures in our best picture bracket. We want to see which ones we should have put on there.
0: Okay, everybody. Send us a message. We really do want to hear from you. Once again, that's at the Arnie's on Instagram. And we'll talk to you later. Have a great week. See ya. The Arnie's will return for The Avengers.